Hello friends and welcome to the final episode of the Gate of Heaven video diary. What an adventure we've come on. I can't really believe we're here. I think I'm in a bit of shock, but I'm so thankful to all of you for watching the videos and for sharing them over the past few months. This has really just been the most incredibly enriching experience for me personally to read the Dawnbreakers in this way during this special year and to, to share the story with you. And really, uh, you know, as I said at the beginning, part of the reason that I wanted to do this was just simply to learn more about the story of the Bob and to, to learn about the story behind his words that, that I've spent the last year singing here in the studio. And I feel like I learned far more than I bargained for. So thank you for accompanying me through this this learning process. You know, I read all your comments and, and really uh, I, 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 I don't always have time to respond to all of them, but they really mean a lot to me. And I have felt so touched and so supported and accompanied in, in this, this process. So thank you all. And uh, I, I really hope that, that these videos have been a, <clears throat> a helpful tool for uh, for, uh, for preparing to, to celebrate the bicentenary of the birth of the Bob coming up in October. And, and, and more than that, I, I really hope that that they have inspired you to to pick up the Dawnbreakers for yourselves and, and, and dive into that book and, you know, find all these amazing treasures because it's, it's an amazing story. You know, I, I, as I said uh, in one of the early episodes, I think that the Dawnbreakers is ultimately a love story. And, uh, you know, perhaps it's even the ultimate love story because it's the story of of that love relationship between humanity and the divine. Uh, and so for that reason, I really think that it's a story for everybody in its capacity to to inspire and to move. And I certainly have experienced that in my own reading of it. So so I'm you know, I'm sure everybody has access to that. So so I, I really uh, thank you. Thank you for accompanying me on this this adventure. And next week we have the official album release, Gate of Heaven in its entirety is going to be officially released on May 23rd, the anniversary of that night that we looked at way back in episode four, that night in 1844, when the Bab declared his mission to Mullah Hussein. And before that, I'm also going to post the final song from the album this Sunday. And so I will tell you a little bit about that at the end of the episode. But looking now at this, this, this final critical point that we've come to in our journey through the Dawnbreakers, we've reached a point where it seems at a glance as if everything that the Bab had done was in vain. To all outward appearances, his, his message seemed like a lost cause and his followers had been absolutely decimated. Mullah Hussein was gone, Qudus was gone, Tahereh was gone, Vahid, Hujat, Zainab, all of these heroes and heroines, these and thousands more, had been mercilessly mowed down by the combined forces of the civil and religious authorities of Iran. And the records tell us that in the few short years of his religion, over 20,000 of the Bab's followers lost their lives in what seemed like the greatest waste of blood that their country had ever known. But through all this turmoil, there survived handfuls of, of Babis scattered and disconnected 
around Iran, and, um, and among them there remained one outstanding figure who, although never hesitant to throw in his lot with his fellow Babis, had survived and had come through it all. And that follower of the Bab was Baha'u'llah. And from, right from the beginning, Baha'u'llah had really been not only one of the greatest champions of the Bab's cause, but through his sheer natural capacities, he had really become a kind of a an unspoken leader and guide to his fellow Babis, someone to whom they could turn for counsel and wisdom while the Bab was in prison. He he on he had strategized on many occasions to to protect their lives and to coordinate their movements when their sufferings seemed to be to be more than they could bear. He had really instilled in them the courage they needed to persevere. Whenever disagreements broke out between them and and um, and their unity was threatened, he had acted as a, as a kind of a healing salve to restore and preserve their, the, the friendships between them. And he had really drawn out of the hearts of his fellow Babis a, a, a deep, genuine love that, that had the effect of increasing the love and support that they had for each other. And what part of the reason that, that Baha'u'llah had survived this long was simply that the authorities had, al had always been hesitant to, to kill him because they knew that to kill Baha'u'llah would, would bring upon them enormous national and possibly even international repercussions because of the fact that he had been born into uh, one of Iran's great noble families. He was a descendant of the great the ancient kings of Persia and his father, the great Mirza Bazurg, uh, had been one of the most outstanding ministers in the court of the Shah. And so Baha'u'llah had, had really spent his youth surrounded by all of the securities and comforts of the Persian noble classes. And he was expected to take up the mantle from his father and, and live a prestigious life as a, as a minister in the royal court. But that day, that day that we looked at, back in episode seven, when Mohammed Moalem, the young student of the Sheikhi school in Tehran, arrived at Baha'u'llah's door, delivering to him on behalf of Mullah Hussein, a scroll containing the writings of the Bab. That day was like the turning of a key in the engine of Baha'u'llah's heart. From the moment he laid his eyes on the words of the Bab. His whole being was ignited and his life was unalterably directed towards service to the Bab's cause. And his energy in that service quickly became a source of awe and wonder to his fellow Babis. Nabil tells us, He was in the heyday of his life when the call from Shiraz reached him. At the age of 27, he arose to consecrate his life to its service, fearlessly identified himself with its teachings, and distinguished himself by the exemplary part he played in its diffusion. No effort was too great for the energy with which he was endowed, and no sacrifice too woeful for the devotion with which his faith had inspired him. He flung aside every consideration of fame, of wealth and position, for the prosecution of the task he had set his heart to achieve. 
Neither the taunts of his friends nor the threats of his enemies could induce him to cease championing a cause which they alike regarded as that of an obscure and proscribed sect. So you might remember back in episode 27 when Baha'u'llah came to the fort of Sheikh Tabarsi and how the companions were so perplexed by Mullah Hussein's strange behaviour towards Baha'u'llah, the, the, how he embraced him with these overflowing expressions of love and reverence. But Mullah Hussein's response to Baha'u'llah was not unique. And in fact, even from his very early youth, anybody who came in contact with him had been unable to deny that, that, that there was something about him. There was a, a kind of an atmosphere of of serenity and majesty that surrounded him, and a, and a, and a, a magnetism that radiated out from him like, like all the warmth and, and light of the sun, always drawing people to, to be close to him. In fact, one, one government minister made the, the, the following comment about this remarkable effect that, that Baha'u'llah had on the people around him. He said, Our mortal life can never be free from the vicissitudes that beset the path of earthly ambition. Should we even succeed in ensuring in our lifetime the honour of our name, who can tell whether after our death calumny may not stain our memory and undo the work we have achieved? Even those who, while we are still living, honour us with their lips, would in their hearts condemn and vilify us, were we for but one moment to fail to promote their interests. Not so, however, with Baha'u'llah. Unlike the great ones of the earth, whatever be their race or rank, he is the object of a love and devotion such as time cannot dim, nor enemy destroy. His sovereignty, the shadows of death, can never obscure, nor the tongue of the slanderer undermine. His lovers will greatly increase in number. The love they bear him will never grow less and will be transmitted from generation to generation until the world shall have been suffused with its glory. So after the attempt on the life of the Shah, however, the nation's view of Baha'u'llah takes a drastic change. The, the, the Shah's mother perceiving him as the, the most prominent and most capable follower of the Bab, deems him as the, the chief conspirator and would-be murderer of her son, and she becomes laser-focused on doing away with Baha'u'llah. She marches around the palace of Tehran, shouting out, Deliver him to the executioner! What greater humiliation than this, that I, who am the mother of the Shah, should be powerless to inflict upon that criminal the punishment so dastardly an act deserves? And Baha'u'llah's friends beg him to hide, but he refuses, and on the contrary, he immediately rides into Tehran and goes directly to the headquarters of the government to prove his innocence to the king and his mother. But the king's mother, her, her thirst for revenge is just unquenchable. And there and then, Baha'u'llah is arrested and is thrown into what was one of the most notorious prisons of the time, a place called the Siachal, 
the black pit of Tehran. And this place, this place wasn't really a prison at all. It was an old underground cistern, almost like an old sewer, deep beneath the city, where, where, where the worst of the worst criminals were sent to go down there and be cut off from society. This was a place with no light, with no heat, with no sanitary facilities. It was infested with vermin and filth. It was probably the most horrendous physical environment you could ever possibly dream up in your worst nightmares. And down in this subterranean dungeon, they place his feet in stocks and around his neck they fasten a chain, a chain that is so heavy and so dreaded in the criminal world that it is infamously known as the Kara Gohar, the Black Pearl Chains. And for four months, Baha'u'llah lies languishing under the, the weight of these chains, his body withering away to skin and bones in the darkness of the black pit. But during those four months, he begins to experience something, something that, 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 that he tells us set, sets his whole body, his whole being on fire, something so profound that he, he tells us if he were to share it, no man could bear to hear it. He says to us, During the days I lay in the prison of Tehran, Though the galling weight of the chains and the stench-filled air allowed me but little sleep, still in those infrequent moments of slumber, I felt as if something flowed from the crown of my head over my breast, even as a mighty torrent that precipitated itself upon the earth from the summit of a lofty mountain. Every limb of my body would, as a result, be set afire. At such moments my tongue recited what no man could bear to hear. And so down there, in the darkness of the black pit, with his feet in stocks and his neck in chains, words begin to flicker like a flame on Baha'u'llah's tongue. Words of that same spirit, that spirit which 3,000 years before had delivered to Moses the Ten Commandments, and which nearly 1900 years before had, had gifted Jesus with the Sermon on the Mount, and nearly 1300 years before had revealed to Muhammad the Quran, and in the few years just past had inspired the Bab with his verses, those verses that had evoked such a transcendent love in the hearts of his followers, that 20,000 of them had willingly sacrificed their lives for the spirit behind those words. And that spirit now made its home in Baha'u'llah. And night after night, this torrent flows through him with ever-increasing intensity, the words pouring from his tongue like this river of spontaneous heavenly creativity, verse after verse, revelation after revelation, until finally the darkness surrounding him is split before his eyes by a vision so vast and so dazzling in its beauty that it nearly blinds him. He tells us, 
while engulfed in tribulations, I heard a most wondrous, a most sweet voice calling above my head. Turning my face, I beheld a maiden, the embodiment of the remembrance of the name of my Lord, suspended in the air before me. So rejoiced was she in her very soul that her countenance shone with the ornament of the good pleasure of God, and her cheeks glowed with the brightness of the all-merciful. Betwixt earth and heaven she was raising a call which captivated the hearts and minds of men. She was imparting to both my inward and outer being tidings which rejoiced my soul and the souls of God's honoured servants. Pointing with her finger unto my head, she addressed all who are in heaven and all who are on earth, saying, By God, this is the best beloved of the worlds, and yet ye comprehend not. This is the beauty of God amongst you, and the power of his sovereignty within you, could ye but understand. This is the mystery of God and his treasure, the cause of God and his glory, unto all who are in the kingdoms of revelation and of creation, if ye be of them that perceive. And so in that filthy, pestilential dungeon, deep beneath the surface of the earth, where, where no light could ever get in, the Bob's promise was fulfilled. He whom God shall make manifest, the one awaited by the great religions of the world, the one upon whom the Bobbies had set their hopes, had not only appeared, but he had in fact been with them all along, their beloved companion, Baha'u'llah, the one who on numerous occasions had had taken measures to protect their lives and, and to guide their movements, who, who, who more than once had accepted tortures and beatings and imprisonments in order to prevent those things from being in inflicted on others, who, who in their sufferings had fortified them and in, in their darkest moments had encouraged them, and who from the beginning had been standing and working with them shoulder to shoulder in the trenches, watching over them as a friend and a comforter and a protector. All along, he had been the very one that the Bob had assured them was coming. His, his true identity always hidden, except to those who were willing to see with the eye of their heart. And Shoghi Effendi, who, who gifted us with this amazing English translation of the Dawnbreakers, tells us, To Israel he was neither more nor less than the incarnation of the everlasting Father, the Lord of hosts come down with ten thousands of saints. To Christendom Christ returned in the glory of the Father. To Shia Islam the return of the Imam Hussein to Sunni Islam, the descent of the Spirit of God, Jesus Christ. To the Zoroastrians, the promised Shah Bahram. To the Hindus, the reincarnation of Krishna. To the Buddhists, the fifth Buddha. And so it was that just when it seemed like all was lost and the night couldn't get any darker, the dawn broke. 
And that's a story for another time. <laughs> and so that brings us to the end of the Gate of Heaven video diary. And this Sunday, May 19th, the last song from Gate of Heaven will be released. And this song is a bit different. It's a long form piece and it's really intended for immersive listening. And so I really hope that you will be able to carve out 16 minutes uh, for yourself at some point to, to uh, switch off the world and switch on a good sound system or put on some headphones and listen to this musical arrangement of a, a, a very famous letter that was written by Baha'u'llah after his eventual release from the Black Pit to a man who had spent his life searching for spiritual truth, the Tablet of Ahmad. And so to my Kickstarters, to my Patreons, my supporters, to my, my listeners and viewers, my friends and family, and to everybody who supports my work in so many different ways, thank you. I, I, uh, I, and I also want to give a, a special thanks to Kelly, my producer, who, who did such a, a stellar job producing and engineering the album and who also very generously allowed me to film the video diaries in her studio. Uh, I also want to thank all of the musicians who, 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 who gave their talents to, to make this album and who really, you know, who, who played on this album with such, a, such outstanding excellence. And also, I want to give a special, special thank you to the Badian family and the Kadem Chernieski family for, for really being the most extraordinary rock and foundation of love and support for both the making of the album and the filming of these video diaries. So I hope that you enjoy the Tablet of Ahmad. I hope that you continue to enjoy all these new songs for a long time to come, but especially this year as we celebrate the bicentenary of the birth of the Bab. Thank you for watching and I will see you on the other side. Bye for now.